0: In this episode, Navpreet Randwa, CFO at MENA, shares his remarkable journey from entrepreneur to CFO, outlines his belief in a tech-driven, fully outsourced finance function, and explains why he enjoys the title of accidental CFO. Hi, I'm Ross, and this is the CFO Playbook, where each week, you'll get insights from world-class financial leaders to help you grow your company, yourself, and face the challenges required of today's CFO. Before we jump into the interview, we want to invite you, our listeners, to head to our show notes to find a link to our listener survey. We want to learn about how to make the CFO playbook even better. As a thank you, you'll have the opportunity to win your choice of an iPad or a Samsung Galaxy Tab S7. We would love your feedback. Navi, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Ross. Navi, I'd love to explore your background and, and how you got to CFO at, at Mina Technologies. Because you had a very familiar start that we've seen from many of our guests, which is like a background in in investment banking and so forth. But then you had the interesting path of becoming a founder before then moving back into the investment world and and then more recently into CFO. So can you talk a little bit about that journey and, and why you ended up taking the path that you've chosen?
1: So when I look back, a lot of people do ask me, like, how did I end up becoming a CFO? And my typical answer is that I call myself an accidental CFO. So back in college, I did not envision myself that, oh, I want to become a CFO. I basically followed the path and went with my gut. So typically after MBA, I went for banking. I started in Mumbai, Moved to Chicago. And pretty early on, I realized that when we were broking a deal in Chicago, there was a buyer and a seller and we bankers sat in between. And I remember that moment, I told myself that I want to be one of those guys, the one who is building or one who is selling, right? Buying or selling, not the one facilitating, at least now, later in the future, you never know. And I can always come back and become a banker, but this is the time I go and try to build a company. So I quit my job in Chicago, came back uh, to Delhi. I was fortunate enough in 2014, they were cutting checks for ideas. So I raised $2 million, did my series A, employed 270 people in three cities in India, learned a lot, <laughs> went bust after three years. And here I was. This was, uh, I believe, 2016. Uh, and no idea. I've I'd done banking. I did a startup, uh, which I'm super proud of, but didn't work out. And I was not sure where to go back. Should I go back to banking? Should I start another company? And then I got an interesting call from the prime minister office that uh, would you, you know, run this program called Startup India, India needs to create a million job seeker every month. So rather create job creators than job seekers. And they wanted someone from entrepreneurial background to run this. So I did that for three years, very exciting, learned a lot, traveled a lot. But three years into the job, I realized that I'm better suited to build companies and that's when I decided to you know, go back to building something. And this time I learned from my previous startup, which I started alone, that uh, where I was a CEO and only founder, that I want to do it with someone and learn from someone else's experience of building a company, because that's what, it was a very lonely journey. And I came across Mina in Sweden, very, very interesting company, very simple. If I take the idea to my grandmom, she will understand what subscription management is. <laughs> And that's my thing, right? All great things are simple. And when I understood it, I spoke to the CEO. Yo came. I said, hey, listen, I'm living in New Delhi. I love what you're doing and i love to contribute. But I don't know where I'll fit in, right? I'm an ex-entrepreneur, ex-banker. And he said that, you know, Navi, why don't you become our CFO? And uh, I knew finance, right? From my MBA, I knew finance from my banking. So I said, sure, why not? And here I was, you know, someone has no accounting background. I had corporate finance background. No control of the Swedish language, but the trust of the CEO that together we will figure out because he was the one managing it in the company before me. So It was 14-people company. I moved to Sweden with my wife and started exploring the job of a CFO. And here I am four years into my job, raised Series A, raised Series B, got Visa as an investor, raised over £25 million in the last four years, built pricing, understood different um, parts of the job and um, still calling myself an accidental CFO is learning on the job.
0: It's a fascinating story. And, and before we go into the current role as CFO, which, we, of course, we'll focus a lot on, I'd love to like learn a little bit more about that experience as a founder because, as you said, like you've got immense pride, which you absolutely should have, of having the courage to set up a company, doing so on your own with no co-founders, which, of course, is a really challenging thing to do, even with founders. But you also, of course, after three years, you, it wasn't successful. So you concisely told that story, but I'm sure that must have been a, a momentous three years and to go through that and, and then for it not to work out, like what, what was that experience like? And, and now looking back, how do you view it?
1: So, you know, I, I remember this, I was speaking to my sister just after quitting my job and uh, starting this company and I was, I was on the high, right? I'd raised money, so I had money in the bank, $2 million, a crazy amount of money to have in the bank right so i was speaking to my sister i said there's no chance that it won't work right i'm i'm smart and uh, i won't let it fail right because i'm a smart person and i carried that confidence i could not believe that it won't work i had that confidence in <laughs> or let's say in hindsight overconfidence that it cannot fail and not having enough smart people around me, it can be very tiring and lonely. I won't say a lot of people tell me that it's like 20 hours, 16 hours of work. The biggest stress for me was not the work hours, right? I can mm-hmm. work. It was more about the mental stress that comes with the job. Most often people were calling me a lot and it was very rare. Somebody will call me, hey, we secured a client. It was most often that, hey, this client did not sign or some of the bad news, things that they could not handle themselves it started coming to me. And rightly so, right? I was the CEO of the company. I'm supposed to solve the matters Or when shit hits the van, I'm the one who should cover up. And it piles on. And that's when I felt like a bit lonely. One who's building the tech, one who's taking care of administration, one who's taking care of the money and the finances. So everything piled on my plate. So if I had a bad day, 270 other people also had a bad day. And that Mm -hmm. speaks a lot about my management, something I was learning on the job that I need to have a good a, I would have benefited by co-founders, but a good layer of second management who could um, bring in the experience of people who have done it before and who can take the responsibility of the respective domains would have benefited me a lot. But you learn.
0: And looking back at that particular company, do you think it was the, the fact that it didn't succeed? Was that down to your execution and, and like how you tried to follow up with the idea? Or was there something in the market that affected the success?
1: I think I could have made a good business out of it. So I will call it an execution failure in some way. Yes. And then the market did have an impact. So I was in the blue collar industry. So what we were doing essentially was like very quickly in India, domestic helps, cook, driver, the unorganized labor force is very big. Nobody fights for their rights and uh, what we decided that we will organize this space so we created a platform where we brought all the you know electrician cook driver domestic help, waiters stewards all together on one platform listed them on a website and connected their job seekers with job people looking for helpers right and they can do it on the platform so that's the journey we built and we added a training element so what we said was there was an arbitrage so if you're familiar with the Indian landscape so if you go to the rural parts of the country let's say West Bengal, right? You will find a driver for $50 a month (laughs) versus the driver in Delhi or Mumbai would be $500 a month, $300 a month, right? So there was a price arbitrage when the skill was the same. The skill was driving. So we saw that there's a potential for us to like migrate people, upskill them, and provide them a good employment while making money out of the process. So these guys could be our employees working for people looking to hire. And the biggest learning was that I started with blue collar and three months or six months into my job, I realized that cook is huge in itself as a category or driver is huge in itself as a category. And I took all of them together. So if you look at drivers, there's someone who drives commercial vehicles, someone who drives passenger, someone drives automatic, someone drives manual, someone drives a Mercedes or a BMW or a Tesla versus someone drives a low-end cars, right? So the skills within drivers were huge and same applied for other categories. So having taken all these categories together, I realized that the scope of the job was much bigger than we could handle and we were spread out. So those were the learnings um, that you learn on the job. In hindsight, if I would have just picked one category, be it cook, driver, any other category, it would have been helpful. But the market did not help. So people do not pay minimum wages, something I was against. So I wanted to ensure that anyone working through us is paid minimum wages, have good living condition. And that's where the reality of a developing country, right, where people want to like minimize what they pay. Right and not give benefit versus my own principles of making sure that I do it right. And in a scalable way, there was a here there. So those two things in combination uh, led to the downfall.
0: That's fascinating. So what year did that company finish? Did you end up having to close it?
1: Yeah, we ended up closing it in 2016. So 2014, I started it uh, yeah, in October, September sometime.
0: And has anyone tackled the problem since in the in the six years since that's happened? And of course, there's been a pandemic in the midst of it. But has anyone tackled it, or is it still is does the same problem still exist? The
1: problem still exists. There are a bunch of companies trying to do it category specific, like find my maid, find my driver. Even if you look at uh, developed countries like UK, you'll find like elderly care services, babysitter services. So it's on the same lines but I did it on a larger scale in a way that we picked all categories together. In hindsight, that wasn't the smartest thing to do, but the idea was to organize all of them together.
0: It sounds like one of the major lessons of this and that you've probably brought forward into everything you've done since is underlining the importance of focus.
1: Yes, the the biggest learning is crawl before you walk, walk before you run, right? Um, Quoting, everyone knows this, but uh, in life, you have to implement it as well. So starting small would have helped us. Giving ourselves time would have helped us. For example, we did the recruitment piece of the business first, right? So we started recruiting people. We did TV advertisement, getting people on board, come migrate to our training center. We were migrating like 1,500 folks every day. That's like 5,000 people migrating to my training center, And then we did the other piece of the business, which is training. I think uh, if we would have done that at a much smaller scale, like bring 30 people in, train, and place, the whole journey, the ecosystem, we would have learned a lot more, like the challenges on training, the challenges on mobilizing, the challenges on placing, and even post-placement support, right? Because a lot of people... Because of the love and care they got in the whole journey, they were in a safe space. But when they were thrown on the deep end of actual work environment, it wasn't very nice, which is an unfortunate truth. So when a cook went, actually went to a restaurant, unfortunately, they were not treated with respect and dignity that they were treated at the training center, which we had created. So the difference between the real life environment versus the simulated environment we had created led to people quit after 15 days and come back and said, say that we don't like it. So those were the other challenges that we
0: encountered. You learned from, but it sounds if like you were really trying to introduce a new culture in, in some of those categories that you're working in. And the, the harsh reality of the real world was pushing against that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, in hindsight, I should have picked one category. I should have picked my customer, not just provide. So there was no shortage of employees or employers. That worked in my favor. So there were enough people looking for a job, and uh, in the late run of the company, we would just go to a train station, believe it or not, Ross. I will send my team to railway stations, and hundreds of people were just coming to big cities to find employment. So if you just stand outside a railway station in India and say that, hey, I'm providing a job, you know, 50 to 100 people will just show up, and they will just sit with you and come to the training center. That's the quantum we were dealing with in terms of employers the employees seeking job and even on the employer side there are call any restaurant pick any restaurant okay or penny pick any saloon or anything like that and call them and say hey we have a worker willing to work they will say yeah we want it so there was no shortage of employee or employer the shortage was in terms of skill training and making sure that they stay right so my return came if somebody stayed at least for three months yeah. And that was the problem. People were quitting too soon, right? In the blue collar workspace. They're very entrepreneurial, let's put it like that. So they leave one job without securing the other one. So that's the confidence they carry that they will figure out something else, which typically white collars are very secured and trying to be safe all the time. But uh, in blue collar, they will just quit if they have a bad day.
0: It's a very, very low customer acquisition cost when you can just turn up at the train station and then get 100 people to, to go for jobs and then just go around the restaurants to offer it. It's a yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Unfortunately, I learned it after one and a half years that I could just show up at the train station. <laughs> but before that, we were just running ads on music channel, news channel in local languages saying that, hey, do you want job? That's it. Once we had this fancy ad and we realized that like we we're getting few calls and then we said no fancy just big banner do you want job this is what we pay and we got like seven to ten thousand calls a day we used to get
0: wow wow i can imagine it would be a busy a busy time for the team that we're trying to answer and, and filter through all of those and that's the reason we needed
1: so many people right so yeah, yeah. You know, to answer those calls build those profiles so we had a very interesting database we had around 800,000 to a million users registered with us. And that was another trick that happened, right? In India, uh, we have, all these people don't have email IDs. So their, their unique ID is their phone numbers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we had built this database of all the workers through their phone numbers. And there's a similar company called BabaJobs.com, which has raised like $30 million or something, which was also building database on the phone number. Now, very similar to Indeed or other you know, white-collar websites where people register, but it's on email ID. Now, what happened in 2015 was, uh, 16, Reliance, which is one of the biggest conglomerate in India, came up with a new telco plan where they said, free phone, free calling. <laughs> and all of a sudden, all the blue collar switched their phone numbers because they've got a free phone and a free calling, and we no longer had that hook through which we had those people registered with us.
0: Wow, fascinating. And so then switching across to Mina, and so you, you obviously had that role with the government fund for a period of time, and then you went back into building a business again. What are some of the lessons that you've taken from that experience as an entrepreneur and a founder now into your new role as, as CFO within Meena, or, or at that time, your new role?
1: I think the culturally, it was very different. I had a lot of luxuries in Sweden moving from India. So first of all, I had smart people in terms of co-founders were really smart. So you came as a CEO, knew everything about sales. Marcus knew everything about the tech. I had a very specialist job, even though I had a say in everything else, but I had a very specialist job. So from strategy perspective, I'm contributing to everything. But from my speciality, it's, it's what I need to be good at is finance. So that way there was less stress The economy also was different, right? So, you know, a lot of things in Sweden are uh, obviously it's a cashless society. Everything is digital, all the information. So being a CFO is actually quite easy in these countries versus if you look back in India where we are digitizing a lot of things, but you will get a lot of um, paper invoices and stuff, which is not there in Sweden, right? Everything is digital. So, When I first took the job in hand, I was a bit uh, skeptical, like, how will I manage? I'm not an accountant by trade. But when I look at the system, I said, wow, this is everything is done. I I had one condition to to take the job, uh, which is that I don't want to build an in-house finance function. I will outsource everything. My view of finance function uh, going forward for any company I work for and build, right, would be that we outsource it. There are specialist, specialist companies that exist to do the job. And the job of the CFO is to manage that CFO suite, to have those right companies, right partners to provide information. And my job is to analyze, right? My job is to look at those numbers and take critical business decisions. And that's what I always had focused on.
0: So you've outsourced then and built and outsourced entirely finance function and just you and, and the company.
1: So in the first year, it was just me. Um, the first one one and a half years, it was just me. And I had this uh, fantastic uh, executive assistant called uh, Malu, who who did not know finance, but she's a smart person who knew Swedish. So she will help me out in terms of checking the odd invoice, right, if it's correctly booked, or if I did not uh, understood any particular payment, or if people have reported their salaries. Mm -hmm. So those kind of things. But other than that, it was uh, completely outsourced. We had a bookkeeping firm which, uh, you know, they have a tech platform where they all the invoices are sent to them, all salaries are being done by them.
0: And, and so then do you see, as as Mina scales and grows, that you would remain with an outsourced model or would there be a point at which you would start to build some stuff in-house?
1: So we we, we have scaled. So we moved to around 100 employees. We set up a UK entity. We have a US entity now. We have employees working in Denmark, Netherlands, Spain, Romania, So what we decided, we continued with the same model. I did add a financial controller to um, manage these relationships because, uh, you know, I think you might ask me this later as well, but we had like a bookkeeping system, but then we have expense management system. We have equity management system. We have a board reporting system. So I got vendors and partners who are best in class, new age companies helping CFOs to build a finance function in and an in-house person to manage those relationships. The future for MENA, the way I see it, and for any other company scaling from uh, 1 to 3 million, or 1 to 5 million, and then from 5 to 50 million, I would still see as uh, outsource. So my next is, whenever we hit the next milestone that we have for ourselves in terms of revenue, would be to get an FPNA system, financial planning and analysis system, so that we move away from uh, some of the Excel that we still do to an FPNA system.
0: And so then... You're creating, which is really interesting, like this almost like modular, like, art, like architecture of services. So you're saying, OK, this is what finance has to cover. There are different services. You'll have different vendors that provide those services. And then, of course, there'll be technology that underpins all of those services. So are you the chief architect of all of that or do you rely on some of those vendors to help you shape what you're trying to build? It's my
1: department. I am accountable for everything, right? I have a vision of how it should run, where my time and energy should be spent. But I'm always listening and talking to vendors because they are subject matter experts. So I'll give you an example. Most recent conversation is that I was doing a cash flow in any startup, like runway analysis is a very important piece that we were always looking at. Okay, when are we running out of money? 20 months out, 18 months out, 15 months out. You have to analyze what if this contract doesn't work out? What if this another contract doesn't come in or if they pay 50 percent of the value? So these different scenarios we were building in an Excel. And I realized that, you know, it became like, I had like five versions, it became cumbersome. I said, like, I'm sure there are solutions out there. So I, I spoke to this cash flow management company, they take financial data from your banks, they take the conditions from you, and they have these nice charts and stuff that comes out, which helps you analyze. So I said, yeah, this this sounds good. I like to work with something like that. I haven't implemented that, but this is just an example of how I like to work with things. Get subject matter expert from outside. It's similar journey we did on the cap table. So we had all the shareholders. We have more than fifty shareholders because we let employee participate. And it was every now and then we wanted to have a window for employees to sell and buy from each other so that the liquidity remains in the cap table for minority shareholders. And it was done on Excel. And as good as I am on Excel, I realized that it's cumbersome. So I moved to an equity management tool, a cap table management tool, which I was scouting for, and I zeroed in on CapDesk. It's healthy again, right? Because if we have one platform where we see everything together. I've given ex- access to our employers, employees, investors. So I don't have those questions. Hey, can you send me my, your cap table, right? They can just log in and see it for themselves. And they are an expert in managing cap table. Uh, I'm good at Excel, but I'm not expert in managing cap table, right? And in a presentable form.
0: And so, in that case, like just using the cap table as an example, you found a tool. Are you the person that like chose the tool, helped like configure the tool, and then managed it on an ongoing basis, or do you have a, a service partner that manages a lot of that for you?
1: Yeah, so that's the job of controller at MENA was for me. Like a controller was responsible primarily to make sure that everyone is being paid on time, the invoices are being handled correctly and booked correctly and to be a guard or a supervisor to all the external parties. And then second job of this person was to make sure that the vendors that we are getting in are the right vendors. So I would every now and then give, hey, I want to do something in this space. There are vendors. And then who do you think is good? And the controller will then have those calls and conversations, look at a few options and then say, I recommend this one. And most often I would say yes to
0: those. So then uh, uh, it's such an interesting model because you're perhaps the first guest that has has almost had a fully outsourced finance function, which is really interesting. and as you said, Mina's scaled to like a really a really significant size multinational hundred odd employees. So why don't you think more companies have done what you've done with finance? I don't know. I'm like uh, I'm
1: not being cFO <laughs> as I said uh, before neither did, neither did I envision to be a cFO to start okay. with. So I would be surprised if other companies are not doing this, right? But I do see from a market trend perspective that people are moving to this model from so many companies which are coming forward, which is positioning themselves as a CFO suite, right? So something that uh, software for CFO, CFO tech stack, these are the terms that I often see on LinkedIn, hear on podcasts. So the fact that this happening clearly shows that people are looking into this model. And I, I don't know what other companies are doing, but it seems to me that the world is moving in that direction.
0: You definitely, again, f- from the various conversations we've had with CFOs on the podcast, is that there's more adoption of technology and use of technology to automate what would have been previously like laborious work that their teams were doing. What's interesting is that you're using, of course, external parties, and some of them are using technologies as part of that. As a recovering consultant, which I sometimes call myself as, uh, I-, I worked for Accenture many moons ago, and we would have this combination of services and, and product in terms of technology, sometimes there were not the right incentives to automate when you're running a service. Not always, like Accenture automated, a lot of different services and processes. But when you're charging on the basis of like the number of hours that someone would work or the resources that you would put in terms of people power, then if you automate that with technology, yeah, if you charge the same price, you've got a margin there that you can get, so you'll have more profitability. But if the client might say, if you're using that technology, I want to pay less because we should be able to automate that that resource away. So I'm wondering whether the incentives are there for all partners, if they're a professional services company, are there to reduce the cost when they use technology.
1: Fair point, So But when somebody says outsource, right? typically, historically, what we have seen is it's about finding a low-cost country and a cheaper yes. solution to outsource, right? Yeah. But when I say outsource in finance for us, it's uh, basically getting software in to do the job. So we don't have mm-hmm. to manually do it. And all our bookkeeping partners are also like for example in Sweden, we have P accounting. I'm a big advocate of them. They are a tech company. I think that the tagline which I which I gave them, I gave said it something in an interview and then they used it as their tagline, tech with a human touch. So that's the thing, right? It's a technology company with accountant sitting behind the scene doing stuff on the software. And most of the new age bookkeeping firms are like that. They have a software, so they are not incentivized by number of hours. Actually, they are disincentivized. So a lot of time, if I want to speak to them, they are available to give them credit, but this is something that they avoid. So they're not charged on that. They're charged on, uh, on the license basis in terms of the service that they provide given the size of our revenue and employees.
0: Gosh, uh, I hope you're getting royalties for that tagline.
1: I know they didn't even tell me. You know, I, I used it in an interview and later on somebody sent me that, hey Navi, you said this and it's on. They actually gave me a wine, and I didn't realize why this why they gave me the wine for because I was not in the office and we have a policy of disclosing. And then I got to know that they used the tagline which I used in an interview that I love you guys because you're tech with a human touch. And they ended up using it as a tagline. If they're listening to this, they should send some loyalty that way.
0: <laughs> so clearly you are more focused on technology than than even many CFOs that we've had on the podcast. You're like re- definitely on the outer edge. So when you think about technology, you mentioned that you've got some core systems that you put in. You mentioned booking management, expense management, something for a cap table. So how did you choose which technologies to implement, which, which services to outsource or processes to outsource first when you were setting up finance from scratch?
1: I think it was a, a lot of learning on the job. So let's mm let's talk about, you know, it's about knowing what you're good at and knowing what you're not good at, right? Mm -hmm. So when I came into this role, I pretty much realized that my strength are, I know how to build a company and how to grow a company. And being a CEO, I I had that bird eye view of, you know, what is needed for this company. So I immediately took over the corporate finance role in terms of fundraising, investor relation, and that came naturally to me. And that's where the sales part of the job is for a CFO, right? So I managed the complete finance uh, fundraising part, debt, how much capital should we have? Where should we spend it? How should we spend it? I, of course, consult my super smart executives, but I'm the one accountable for the whole piece. And that's very difficult to automate. You cannot automate fundraising. You have to do it yourself, even though I would love to. And then I realized that, you know, to do that successfully, there are other parts of the CFO job which came on the way I learned, right? Oh, now we have to pay salaries, right? (laughs) Or we have to pay these invoices. Oh, people are asking for a lot of cap table. Oh, people need to go out and have dinners and need a card to manage expenses. And now they're sending me physical invoices that that are in Swedish that I need to look at and then comment whether it's good or bad. So on the job I realized that what work was coming my way and uh, then finding solutions that oh I'm not I'm, it's not the best use of my time if I'm looking at the receipts, right? Especially for my talents who I trust so much. So can we offer them independence? And so whenever we faced a problem uh, and it was growing, that's when we started looking for a solution. So it's not that I came into the job and said, okay, these are the five things I need. Maybe I'll do it in my next venture (laughs) or next job that I take that, okay, these are the five things I need. But in this one where, you know, I ended up as a CFO, it was a lot discovering on the job.
0: Yeah, I I can imagine that. And that, that seems like a very natural way to start thinking about uh, like the other technologies you mentioned like looking beyond that the next level is FpNA so as you're thinking about new technologies forecasting FpNA th- that is a new category of tool that's coming out delivering insights can you talk a little bit about why that's important to you
1: yep yeah, so um, two years into my job what I did I hired a very talented person in India to help me do a lot of research work, right? So there's a person called Jui in India, and we started working together because I wanted to scale myself. So a lot of my job requires the research, right? What pricing should we have? And why rediscover the wheel if there are other companies doing that? What VCs to target? What debt funds to target? What are the going multiples? And that's when I started working with Jui, who did a lot of research to find the right things for me in the market that were happening, looking at the pricing model for other companies. And the second piece she helped me out with was the board reporting, investor reporting, which was something we did month on month. We got everything from the system, but we wanted to make it presentable to our investor in the format that they digest. Not just our existing investor, even when we we are doing the round, we have to every now and then pivot how we present information and stuff. So there was a lot of work happening month on month and it's still happening. So Julie and I work a lot tight when it comes to investor reporting and board relation and fundraising. But now I realize that given that the amount of time we spent on investor reporting and board relation is not the best use of our time because all we are doing is reporting and it was good for the time we did. But now we need to scale ourselves. So that's when we I started looking into FPNA solution. That can I connect my accounting system to my FPNA solution, which gives out investor reports in the format that we want and we can forecast in the system as opposed to building Excels, looking at the formulas and stuff every now and then. And that's where the cash flow tool I spoke about earlier in the call came in the picture as well, because that was another area where we were spending a lot of time changing assumptions every now and then. So I don't think it will get eliminated completely, but my wish is that if 60 to 70% of the work uh, goes away and we don't have to manually manage versions of the Excel and it connects directly month on one, especially if we are not changing anything, Everything drags on one month forward and directly from the accounting system. That's the vision. And we can spend more time creatively looking at opportunities, some MA targets and stuff like that, as opposed to focusing on uh, reporting.
0: It's interesting because the way you describe that is very similar to a previous CFO guest that we had on where they were talking about how do you know when to expand your team? So in their case, they were thinking about their own team. And they said that their CEO, their founder said, anytime you're spending more than 20%, uh, of your available time on a particular activity or area you know you need to hire and you know you need to resource and whilst you haven't said the 20 percent, it sounds that like you've you're very in tune with how much time you and the team are spending on certain things and when it gets beyond a certain threshold it's time to automate it's time to you know outsource or to, to bring in a new technology
1: yeah, absolutely. I won't say I'm uh, always so perfect with that. That's why I'm blessed to have smart people around me. So every now and then, my uh, company's co-founders would come and say that, hey, listen, now perhaps it's time you hire. It's it's one thing that I naturally don't like to do because uh, <laughs> my previous startup failed and I had too many people and I had to let go of those many people. So it's still pinches. So I'm not a big fan of hiring too soon unless I really know I need this person. And sometimes I do you know, pushes too late, right? That's the criticism I'll throw my way. And it often comes as well. So even hiring for a financial controller, when I did it first time, I pushed it too late, right? Do I really need someone? Do I really need someone? And it's only when they come in and realize that, oh, wow, there was so much that I was doing and so much I wasn't doing because I was doing something else and magic happens. So that's in hindsight, I can say that, you know, there are learnings I've taken. I hope to adopt it going forward. But yes, the principles are pretty much the same when you're spending too much time on something which is not the most effective, or efficient thing to do for the business. Then, uh, especially in a leadership role, right? You need to contribute to the top line. You need to contribute uh, strategically to the business right, and grow it forward. And uh, that's how I see myself. My value comes in, in making sure Mina moves forward uh, commercially and uh, making sure there's enough food to move MENA forward. right? There's enough fuel in the system in terms of capital and money. And if I'm spending my time away from those two things, then uh, that's not the best use of my time. So anytime I'm doing anything other than those two, I start looking at those. Things. Should I really be doing that? How can we change it?
0: It's interesting because you describe all I and mean, have all the hallmarks of someone who's been through a very challenging experience. And because of that, it, it shifts your decision making for all future decisions because you don't want to repeat the pain of the past. Which in your case, of course, was unfortunately having to let all of those employees in your previous company go. So now you are only scale the team when you're ready.
1: Everyone has scars, right? So I'm very proud of those scars. But I'm careful of any person we hire, we hire, be responsible towards those hire, have a two-year vision of whether I need this position or not, can I afford that position or not. So yes, I am uh, careful and tactful on those things.
0: And so then what you were also talking about there, of course, is that you're doing a huge amount. So you've got all the classical roles of CFO, but you've, but having been a founder and CEO before, you're influencing and focusing on the growth strategy of Mina, And you're also sh- shaping a lot of responsibilities like international expansion. You're contributing to the commercial part of the business. So then how do you balance all of those responsibilities with only 24 hours in a day?
1: I think it's a fair question. I don't take any pride in working a lot of hours, especially a couple of years back, I became a father. So I realized that uh, I need to have a more balanced life and working all the time is not the best thing. I need to be more efficient with my time. And that's where prioritization comes in. So there's an acceptance that I'm okay with, that I will miss out on certain things. And then what I miss out on is the important piece, right? So almost every day I wake up and I say, what are the three or four most important things I have to do? And one is I need to pick up and drop my daughter to school, right? I work from home, which is like the best thing ever. So that's one. I need to go for a run must i need to read something must so these are three things like you know, which are important to me if i'm not doing that i think i'm declining so i need to do that and then i look at work okay i have like seven hours remaining or nine hours remaining eight hours remaining what do i do in that and then i prioritize things of company impact and commercial so if i'm fundraising which is uh, sometimes the case then i know this is the number one thing second is do we have to pay someone out right timely those two will come one or two depending on what it is and then everything else goes into one bucket. And then I try to do them as much as I can and realize that, you know, it's a few things I'll miss. And then that's where my partners and friends and colleagues come in. Like my financial controller has been fantastic. She does a lot of the work. And consultants consultant, uh, Jui, who works for me in India, she does a lot of the work. But I do realize I will spill over. And every now and then I'll stretch myself, work a couple of hours in the weekends, two to four hours, something like that. But I don't take pride in saying that I will I'll work 15 hours. I don't think it's sustainable and healthy.
0: And it's interesting that you chose of your two priorities. Fundraising makes complete sense because it's the lifeblood of the company. But the other one that, that I was surprised to hear like coming up there with fundraising is payments. So you clearly take pride in making sure that the commitments of the company to adhere to contracts and payments, they're, they are fulfilled because they're critical.
1: Yeah, it's hygiene, right? If you have to go out, wear your clothes. It's something like that, right? You brush your teeth, you take a shower. So you can't, not making payment is not okay. It doesn't take long. So making sure that you're paying stuff, people are being paid out on time, invoices are being paid out on time. And uh, those are the things which is, yeah, the blood needs to flow into the body clearly. So that's one of those hygiene factors that uh, nobody talks about, yet it is the important piece that my team essentially ensures happens. And uh, of course, for me, it is very important. And then external relation, anything, investors, customers, actually, even above investors comes customers, if anything to do, I manage so monetization. So are we? whenever the invoices are due, if you're negotiating a contract, I'm heavily involved. So those RFPs, I'm heavily involved. So those are the things where I, I will obviously prioritize external and commercial stuff over anything else. And I'll throw fundraising, which is typically what a lot of CFOs do as well, along with managing existing customers and new customers.
0: Yeah, I know. And I can can understand that. And so then, Navi, as we're drawing the interview to a close, I often like to ask, and I would love to ask you too, especially given the experiences you've been through, for anyone that wants to emulate you and become an accidental CFO, what are the things, now that you've been a CFO for a number of years, what are the things you would suggest that they do so that when the opportunity comes, they, they can be successful?
1: Not be scared. Right, so I'm have actually been quite secure. I have my rule of thumbs. Let's put it like that, and I'll encourage people to have rule of thumbs. A lot of people call it principles. Some people call it rule of thumbs, like I do. It's about the more variables you have in the equation, the harder the equation gets. So I try to eliminate variables. And one thing that I've accepted is that I need to try new things. Unless I try it, uh, I won't know. And I take a lot of pride in saying that I'm a smart person. I was willing to work hard, and I'll figure out. And I want to surround myself with the right people. So anything that comes my way, whether it was working for the government or starting a company, I feel that, okay, you know, logically it makes sense. It has the return. I'm obsessed with making a lot of money. So I want to give myself chance. And that's what I, you know, that's what I do. So when I started my company and my thought process was, if I don't do it, I know what I'm going to make at the banker 10 years from now. And is that enough? Not enough for me. I want to build a great company, sell it off and make a lot of money out of it. That's how it started. Then I, again, starting a company from scratch, joining a 14-people company in a faraway land in Gothenburg, Sweden. You know, the whole message to myself was that I need to give it a chance, learn the job with other smart people because obviously I failed alone so and I wanted to give myself a chance and trust that if it fails I'll figure something else out so to be be secure my message to others is be secured right nothing's gonna change as long as you work hard if you're working hard and you're you know educating yourself if you're a smart person and uh, continuously educating yourself and willing to work hard even if whatever you're doing fails you will still find something else As in my startup, there's no shortage of employers for good people.
0: I think that's great great advice for, for anyone that's listening. So Navi, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the podcast today.
1: Yes, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it.
0: One last thing. We want to learn from you, our listeners, to learn how we can make the CFO playbook even better head to our show notes to find a link to our listener survey. As a thank you, you'll have the opportunity to win your choice of an iPad or a Samsung Galaxy Tab S7. We would love your feedback. This show is brought to you by Soldo, the brighter way to manage business spending and expenses. With Soldo, You can control every expense, track spend in real time, automate financial reporting and then use those insights to fuel growth. Learn more at soldo.com.